Well, congratulations on uh, being 34. Now, I get it. Some of you are saying, oh, to be 34 again. <laughs> and some of you are saying, wait, don't rush me. Well, let's, let's uh, get a little perspective here. If you go to England, and we had the privilege of doing that a number of times with Mission to the World, you will walk through churches that are literally hundreds of years old. And it, it's rather amazing. Now, those churches, the, the sad part of it is they're mostly museums during the week. That's what goes on. The only time they're full is Christmas Eve. And most of them have maybe a handful of people worshiping on Sunday morning. So if you think hundreds of years versus 34 years, we've just started. We've really just started. September the 11th, 1983 was the service at 7 p.m. at Leapart Elementary School. That was the service when uh, St. Andrew's Presbyterian was constituted as a church. In the book of Revelation, we read this in Revelation 1, verse 11, basically you see that Jesus told the Apostle John to write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. Now that's why I chose this passage for uh, this week, because of the importance of this passage. There's a difference here with, with this letter. It is indeed to uh, the church at Ephesus but it was to be circulated among the seven churches. So it's different than letters that, that Paul sent out. For instance, uh, Galatians, where he sent it out, and it was to an area, and all of the churches in Galatia would, would read it and share it and so on. But this one's different. It is to the, the churches in Ephesus, but also to those in Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia, Laodicea, and so on. And so what that tells me is that there was application in what he was saying to the church in Ephesus, and the application was for the whole church of that day. And what that also tells me is that there is universal application, and it applies as well to the church in our day. And so let's see what this message was for them in Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works. 
your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, found them to be false. I, knew, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, as we celebrate our anniversary, will you do what we ask you to do every single week as we gather, and that is apply your word to us as individuals, as a church. We ask that your Holy Spirit would move among us And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, let's take a look at at this message to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Right. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. First of all, we see this idea of the the angel of the church in Ephesus. And some of your versions may say something uh, a little bit differently. The word angels there uh, uh, could, could mean uh, messenger. Uh, it, it's referring also to the stars, holding the stars, which it says is the angel or the messenger. So, here's the thing, a number of commentators, some think it's literally an angel for that church, but a number of commentators think that's talking about the pastors of the churches. I haven't decided what I like better, whether it is angel or star, but here... In any case, it's talking about a messenger. What an awesome description we we see uh, from who it is coming. It says, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now again, in chapter 1, we find out that the seven golden lampstands are the churches. So who are we talking about? Christ himself. That's who this 
message is from, and it begins by basically saying, he knows. He knows about us. He knows about them. So what does he know? What has he observed? First of all, he knows where you've been faithful. Ephesus was uh, really the most prominent city in Asia Minor. When I preached through the book of Ephesians, we talked a lot about uh, that city. Paul had spent uh, three years there. Some of their preachers, Aquila, Priscilla, Apollos had labored there. Timothy and John had ministered there. They were a spiritually privileged church. And so that's who he is uh, addressing. They'd been exposed to great preachers and great teaching. They had the foundation. And then this is what it says. Verse 2, I know your works. Now before we go any further, we always have to stop whenever it talks about works and we, we have to emphasize that this isn't talking about their works that earned them salvation. In fact, in, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, it says, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. So it's made abundantly clear that that works are not what earns us salvation or a relationship with God. But right on the heels of that, Paul said in verse 10 of Ephesians 2, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So works follow salvation. And here we, we see the emphasis is that he says, I, I see your works. And that wasn't a bad thing. That wasn't an insult. Uh, if you study the church at Ephesus, you would find it to be a busy church. People serving people hardworking, people productive from any outward <clears throat> measurement. They had a full calendar. They would have had an awesome beacon if they had put it out at the end of the year to show the things that they had done. John Stott said the church of Ephesus was a veritable beehive of industry. Their toil was famous Every member was doing something for Christ. So that's the picture we have of this church in Ephesus. And then he goes on of, of what he knows. He knows their perseverance and, and patience, verse 2 and 3. Your toil and your patient endurance, verse 3. I know you are enduring patiently and uh, bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. 
So here's what we have is, you know, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. And what, what he's emphasizing is that they have, uh, they have done this, they have done these works, and they have done it over a period of time. It's probable that when this was written, the church in Ephesus was a, around 44 years old, uh, so a little bit older than us. So he sees this as a, a positive, and then he talks about what else he knows, and, and that is in ter- their steadfastness in doctrine, verse 2, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. So he, he talks about them being steadfast and orthodox, verse 6. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, we don't know a whole lot about the Nicolaitans. We see later in Revelation a little bit about what they taught, uh, but history doesn't tell us much about them. What we do know is that, that they were false teachers. And so they are being commended here that they can tell the difference between the truth and false teaching. And they have reacted to false teaching. You hate them like I do. <laughs> you know, that's a good thing when it comes to this, this false doctrine. Now, Paul had, had warned uh, the elders in Ephesus back in uh, Acts 20. He said this, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So they were warned about it, and they saw him coming, and they dealt with it. So this church that is being addressed here is evangelical. It is orthodox. It is a a, a church that used the Word of God. They were well taught the Word of God, and they used it. There was faithfulness in their preaching and in their teaching and in what they shared. The bottom line of what this description is, is this is the church you want to join. You're looking for a church? These are, these are good things. As I think about our church, I think that these are things that over the last 34 years, we can thank God that that has become our reputation as well in this community. Thanks be to God for that. But here comes the scary part. Have this as our reputation. If that is our reputation in this community, is no time to rest on our reputation. It's no time to relax. It's not a time to bask on the positive things that have happened in the past. We celebrate them. 
we should give God all the glory. But there is a warning here for every church that has ever existed. And so that includes us. He says, I know also where you are struggling. Verse 4, he says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. It's like a punch in the jaw after these wonderful things where uh, someone with a wrong attitude could be uh, basking in that and patting themselves on the back and so on. But he says, but, but know this, I, I, I know about all those things, but you've abandoned the love you had at first. It's not obvious whether that meant the love for Christ or the love for uh, one another. I happen to believe it was both. That love. After all, of course, obviously, the love for Christ is because we were first loved. But then it it must go toward one another, and, and that is our testimony in this world John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And he says, you've lost it. Don't look at all of these outward things because this is what I have against you. Now when we think of losing a first love, for many, it's going to bring to mind a marriage. I have worked with enough couples down through my years of ministry to know that typically when a couple comes to me and one or both of them says, we, we don't love each other anymore, there's several common things. One thing is that it usually didn't happen overnight. It was usually over a period of time. Often it was subtle changes that any one of them might not have even been noticed. But the cumulative effect over a period of time to where they then just kind of look at each other and say, what happened? We don't love each other anymore. Secondly, they've They've usually forgotten in some way what caused them to fall in love in the first place. Some of the the very things that they are irritated by when they come to see me are some of the things that attracted them to one another. Isn't that odd? But they've forgotten somehow. And then thirdly, seldom... Is there any repenting by one or the other in their lives and with one another? And that means there's also seldom forgiveness. I want us to see how that that fits with the church and with what he is saying here. And I believe the remedy points that out. 
Verse 5 starts us with the, the remedy. Now, think, think marriage again. Uh, think anniversary uh, when, uh, and you should do this once in a while, you sit down and you look at your wedding pictures. Get out the ten types and, you know, look. <laughs> and uh, here's, when we look at our wedding pictures and when anyone else looks at them, it's always the same thing. Oh, look at that. Connie looks the same. <laughs> it's so irritating. I... <laughs> I've hidden our pictures. I don't even. And then there's a picture of me in, in my going away outfit that my mom and dad bought for me. And it is a brown leisure suit. <laughs> and I've got collars out to here. And I have to say, it was the only time I ever wore it, and I did it for them. I mean, they, but, uh, and I don't know what happened to that picture, but, uh, but when you sit down and you look at, at your wedding pictures, it can cause you to have some of the feelings that you had that day. It brings back memories, a flood of memories, and you can think about things maybe you hadn't thought of in a long time. He's saying here, remember, verse 5, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Now I want to talk to you in three groups of people today. Usually I don't like dividing people up this way, but uh, uh, kind of three categories uh, rather. Um, the first group is those of you that were here when this church was planted, when it became a church, that meeting down at, at Leapheart. This week I, I read, uh, and they were, they were sitting on my desk, somebody said, what is that, a photo album? And I said, no, th those are the first minutes of the church and the, the meetings of the church and the session and, and so on, and I sat down and I I started reading them through. When I first moved here, I had perused all the minutes at one point to study our church, but uh, I started looking at them again, and you know what? It, it, was, it was like sitting down looking at a wedding album. What an amazing time that was. Exciting things were happening. St. Andrews started with 363 charter members, for those of you that are new. 363. That is bigger than probably 85% of the churches in our denomination. I don't know of other churches that have started in our denomination with that kind of a start. This 6.5 acres that we sit on here, not including the other across the road. We paid $178,740 for. 
I would just tell you, you can't buy it for that today, if, in case you were wondering. But they were exciting times. If you were among those charter members, you no doubt remember those days. You were reaching out and you were inviting your family and your friends and basically everyone you met, inviting them to St. Andrews because you were excited about it. This church was praying out of desperation. How do we even keep up with things? The 25th anniversary uh, video that we did, I still show it to our inquirers class, and, and there's a common theme through there. Uh, a number of people mention how uh, this church was following the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit was at work. If you were here, you, you probably had a job or maybe two or three jobs you were serving because you knew you were needed. If I don't do this, it might not get done. If I don't start this ministry, it might not happen. And you were giving because if you don't give, there simply won't be enough funds for us to continue this ministry. Now that's the one group. But a lot of you in this room today have come since that time. Think about when you first got here to the church. Your excitement of finding this church that you believed God had led you to and how you were telling others about it and, and you found a place to plug in where God could use you in this place. Now, the third group is really for, for all of you who are in this room who, who know Christ as your Savior. I want you to think back to when your spiritual eyes and ears and heart were first opened and you came to Christ. You wanted to tell everyone. And some of you did it, and you did it so much that your own family got fed up with you. Some of your friends said, what happened to you? Where's my friend now? Because you were excited about the Lord. It's good to remember. And not just for a mental exercise, but he goes on right after he says, remember, remember, therefore from where you have fallen, and then he says, repent, verse 5. And so as you think of those things, and if you're thinking, yeah, I, I used to be that way, but I'm not really that way anymore. If you have somehow lost your first love for Christ, for the body of Christ, for his church, the answer, the remedy is repent. To turn from that malaise and bear the fruit of repentance. And here's how. Basically, do what you did at first. Verse 5, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. And so it's the inviting and telling. 
this week, invite and tell as if our attendance next week depended on you inviting and telling. Do the things you did at first. It's serving. Just because the church is bigger and has been around for a few years, we still need you. Every, every Sunday takes dozens of people to pull off what we do. I, I just made a quick list. From ushering to greeting, from sound to buildings and grounds, to, from locking and unlocking, turning off lights, carrying out diapers, taking care of our babies, cleaning up coffee pots, setting up communion, cleaning up after communion, teaching children, teaching youth, teaching adults, being in the choir and orchestra, and none of those jobs are insignificant. We could not do what we do here without every single one of those happening, and that's just on Sunday. We have ministries here all week. And I have to say, if you're tempted to say, yeah, I hope somebody hears this, but I've put in my time, then I fear you've lost your first love. It says repent and do those first things. And then in terms of giving, oh, this church has plenty of people to give. They don't, they don't need me. Well, the first reason to give is not, uh, is, is not to run a church. It's because God has told us to. It's to obey the, the Holy One who died for us. It's the way He ordained to supply His church and fund ministries. And secondly, it's an act of worship. And it's an acknowledgement that we understand that everything we have came from him. So in conclusion, I want to go back to the beginning, and that is he knows. He knows our hearts. After he said, remember therefore, verse 5, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Then he gives an awesome warning. He says this, If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. This is coming from the one who holds the seven stars in his, in his right hand and who walks among the lampstands. If you today go to the place where uh, the churches in Ephesus were standing, you won't find anything except ruins. Now, I don't know when it says he'll remove your lampstand, whether it is, whether it's I know it's not saying you're, you're going to lose your salvation, but whether it is saying your church will no longer be there at some point, but it, at the very least it means you're going to lose your witness. The lampstand is the light 
for our world and our community. This church has had an amazing lampstand over the years. But I don't want us to end with a threat because, because he doesn't. Here's the good news. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. This seems to be an allusion to the, the Garden of Eden where God walked in intimacy with Adam and Eve. And then as we heard earlier, there was the fall. But now, He's walking among the churches. And He gives this glorious promise. So today, together, let us have ears to hear and remember our first love and let us repent where our first love has diminished and let us love like we did in the beginning. And in so doing, we can enjoy the promise of the paradise of God. Let's bow together. We can only do that by your grace. We are only here today by your grace. To you be all the glory and will you empower us to remember and to repent and to do the things we did at first. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.